You know, I, I really don't think about this very often. Although sometimes it usually happens when I see somebody with very sad eyes. But I believe one thing that gives great sadness to God's heart is the people who do not have, do not have a strong, vital, intimate relationship with him. Now, when we talk about a relationship with God, I'm not talking about somebody who knows large portions of the scripture or somebody who may pray to God for an hour every day or even people who live a life of obedience of the faith of Jesus. All of this can fall short of a true, intimate relationship with God. This relationship that God desires from us, it is being aware, being aware of God moment by moment in my life and thanking him in my heart always, often, throughout the day for his presence in me, aware of and thanking God, God with us, God in us. It is also silently asking for his guidance, wisdom, and love. And I used to do this all the time in corporate America to help me every time I have an activity transition and I'm going from one thing to another. We need God's help in all we do. And this even includes, if I'm transitioning, to five minutes to a half an hour of prayer or reading his word. And thirdly, this relationship that God is looking for, it is trusting that he loves me. And he will always give me grace so that all I may do, so that all I may think and feel and say, everything in my life will be pleasing to him and give him glory. I could go on and on, but here is a short outline of what a real relationship with God is like and what he's looking to have with us so we can get maximum blessing. Now, we can learn much from our story about Daniel this morning. It's an amazing story. And it has human jealousy and favoritism in it. And it shows how a pious man lives his life before God and men with courageous faith. That's all spelled out. But the heart of the story is never explicitly stated. Okay? And this is what motivated Daniel to do all that he did, both as we have heard this morning as an 80-year-old man under King Darius, but also going all the way back to when he was first taken to Babylon at 14 years of age, and King Nebuchadnezzar wanted him to eat unkosher food. And he said, no, I will not violate God's dietary 
standards, okay? So what was this one thing? Quite simply, the highest priority for Daniel. Now his name, Dani, my judge, El God. Daniel means God is my judge. He was aware that God was with him. And everything he did, he did in the presence of God, the righteous judge. His highest priority was always his relationship with God. And I will show it as we go through the four portions of our story today. Part one, the Medo-Persian rulers under Darius are jealous of Daniel, this Jew, because he has the highest standing before the king. So line by line, we're told all the governors and leaders under Darius, they assembled together before him and said, all of us have consulted together to establish a royal decree that whoever petitions any God or man except you for 30 days shall be cast in a den of lions. Well, first of all, they're just outright lying because they didn't consult with Daniel. Daniel would have never given his consent to this. Now, why are they doing this purely out of jealousy? Okay, they're jealous of Daniel because Darius had planned to set him above all of them. We didn't read the first six verses, but verse three said Darius had so much respect for Daniel, he was going to be number two in the kingdom. So they knew that Daniel was blocking their ambition as well as being a hated Jew. And we heard that in verse 13 in the reading. Now, the decree was crafted so carefully that only Daniel could break it. They were aiming right directly at Daniel. Now, This passage and much of Daniel is written in Aramaic, which is different from Hebrew. And Aramaic is a difficult language, and I don't fully understand it. But this word assembled together, as the New American Standard puts it, there is a purpose behind that. When I looked at the lexicon of the Aramaic language, it says people are gathering together in tumult and turmoil, and anger. So they were gathering together because they were angry at Daniel. That was their motivating force. They hated him. So they asked him to sign a decree under the code of the Medes and the Persians. And he did, and according to their legal system. Now, this is pretty strict. I haven't studied history. But once A king signed something, even the king couldn't change it. It could not be changed at all. We even see this in Esther. Okay, so that's part one. Part two, and here's Daniel. Here's his heart. When Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went to his house with the windows wide open to Jerusalem, where the temple had been, where they had worshipped God. And then we're told, kneeling three times a day and praying and giving thanks before his God, 
as before, as he had always done. This was Daniel's life. And these men came by agreement again. There's that word. And they found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. That's the summary. Let's look at the details. When Daniel knew this, he decided, I'm going to continue to pray. My conversations with God every day, it's more important to me than obeying this new civil law and going along with the ways of people that don't even know you, O true God, the only true God. They're worshiping false gods. They don't know what they're doing. And then it says that he did this with thanksgiving. That was how he started his prayers. People who really know and love God and have a close relationship with him almost always start their prayer thanking God. But then Daniel also made requests of God, and he asked for grace and mercy. Now, I think we all know by now that the gospel in Jesus Christ is in every book of the Bible. This is the gospel. We cannot do things on our own and in our own strength. We need God's mercy and grace to be forgiven and to be in an intimate relationship with him. Going on. Again, they come to him in agreement. This is tumult. Again, there's great anger in their hearts. They're mad because Daniel is standing firm in his love for God, for his God, despite any consequences. And people, here's the first time we should make an application. Daniel did this some 2,400 years ago. But considering what he did, and he stood up to what was going on in his culture that was ungodly and said, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. Let us ask God to show us any area in our life where we are going along with the ways of our nation that are directly contradicting God's will. Now, besides the obvious ones that we live in a culture of death and immorality, when life and morality are what God desires, we should also ask ourselves, what are we doing as God's people for the poor, the needy, the widow, the orphan, and the alien to provide for them as God commanded his people? Now, there just wasn't enough room in your outlines this week to give you the scriptures, but there would be at least five references from the books of Moses, and at least five more from the Psalms. And this is what the prophets were all about. There would be 20 or more. And one of my favorite passages in Jeremiah is chapter 22, verses 11 to 16, as one of Josiah's sons was exploiting and uh, apathetic about the needs of the poor. And he said, you are not like your father who defended the cause 
of the poor and needy. And we need to be doing this as a people because our nation is all about power. And people who are legitimately poor and needy and need help are being ignored. So they go to the king and they ask him about the details of his decree. They're reminding him. And he says, yes, yes, I gave this decree. And then they inform the king, Daniel, an exile from Judah, has no respect for the king or this decree, but instead petitions his God three times a day. They're springing the trap. So they have their desire for Daniel. The king must now cast him into this den of lions. And we're told when the king heard, he was greatly distressed. And he set his heart on delivering Daniel. And he labored until sunset in order to rescue him. This word deliverance occurs over and over again in this story. You see, the king's love and respect for Daniel motivated him to try to deliver Daniel from the lions, even though he knew the legal system made success impossible. So by agreement, the leaders told Darius what he knew. By law, he could not change his decree. So for the third time, these jealous men, jealous men came to the king in tumult, and they forced his hand. This is unmitigated evil and hatred towards one of God's people. Part three, Darius keeps his decree But he says, Daniel's God will deliver him. And he fasts the night away. And then he goes to Daniel, cries out in pain concerning his fate. And he hears that God sent his angel to protect Daniel. Let's look at the details. Then the king had Daniel cast in the lions then. But he said, your God whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. And then he sealed them in and nothing could be changed. Let's not miss this word of faith. Isn't this amazing? The words that Darius just spoke to Daniel indicate that Daniel's strong relationship with God, which Darius certainly knew, being close to Daniel himself, this is actually leading a pagan king to faith in the very God that Daniel knew intimately. We can influence others. And then we're told this, um, you know, Doom statement, consistent with the law of the Medes and the Persians, he is secured into this lion's den, sealed and secured. And then we're told some more about the king. That night in the palace, he fasted. He allowed no diversions and sleep fled from him. So he's fasting. He's partaking of nothing. The only thing on his mind is 
Daniel and his deliverance. Now, the word diversions, as some translations use it, in the expanded definition, again, in the Dictionary of Aramaic, includes what the King James Version puts in. A standard diversion would be music. Who wouldn't want to listen to music after a long day? And it could also include dancing women. Again, this was that society, and and men could have whatever pleased them. But I love the poetic words of the narrator as he describes um, how the king's concern drove sleep away. Isn't that an amazing turn of a phrase? It wasn't just he was sleepless, but sleep was driven away because of his concern for Daniel. So now we're told the night's over, rising at dawn, he hurries to the lion's den and cries out in a pained voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you always serve delivered you? So as soon as the night's over, the king rushes to find out, is Daniel safe? And he calls in pain. He called in sympathetic pain for Daniel. He loved him. But the words indicate he had hope in God. He's addressing Daniel as if he was alive. This God with whom Daniel had a close relationship, this close relationship, has he delivered him? Now, again, This relationship of Daniel is what saw him through everything. And let us ask ourselves, because we should have an ongoing, continual awareness that God is present in us. And if we don't have that, may we repent and cry out to him to have this awareness. And I myself did so as I was going over the sermon earlier this morning. And then Daniel spoke to the king and said, his God has sent an angel to shut the lion's mouth and he was unharmed because he was found innocent before God. What a testimony Daniel had. God found him innocent. And Daniel should motivate us to always put God and his ways above any civic law that would harm our relationship with God. Better to risk physical harm than to harm our relationship, our close relationship with our God. And then this is like really the climax. We're told the king was exceedingly glad. I love that King James phrase, and it captures his feelings. And he gave orders to take Daniel up out of the den, and no injury was found in him. And the narrator of the scripture tells us why, because he trusted in his God. So first, the response of the king, who's getting a growing awareness of God, he's very glad because his favorite administrator was totally unharmed, untouched, nothing happened to him. But we're told it was Daniel's trust 
or faith in God with whom he was so close all the time that kept him from injury. And then the other side of the coin, the king ordered the men who had accused Daniel in malice be brought and cast into the lion's den. And again, a very picturesque description. Before reaching the bottom, the lions overpower them, breaking all their bones. So a human king even punished malice. And again, uh, this story of Daniel is also the story of Darius. And it seems that God is doing something in the heart of this king. And that's driven home by part four in the new decree that he gives, which in a way kind of overrides that first decree. He says to all the nations that were under him, dozens of nations, God's kingdom cannot be destroyed. Therefore, worship the one who delivered Daniel. So line by line again in detail, the king wrote to every people, nation, and language, may your peace abound. I decree in my kingdom men should fear and tremble before Daniel's God. Now this language, peace, people, nation, language, tribe, tongue, all of that, it was used again in the revelation to John at the end of scripture. All people everywhere will be standing around the throne of the lamb, worshiping him. This is being anticipated by this new decree from Darius. And then he uses the Aramaic word for peace, which is very similar to the Hebrew word. It means welfare, prosperity, total well-being. Fear Daniel's God. We're told that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and I've given you references in Proverbs and Psalm 111. Darius continues, He is the living God, enduring forever, and his kingdom will not be destroyed. This is a mouthful, and we're going to take a little time. Jesus is the king who will be king forever, and the prophets foretold this all the way from Samuel directly to David through the Psalms and through Revelation. Now, the fact that God's kingdom will not be destroyed in Jesus, the rock, is given twice more in the book of Daniel. First, interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream, there was a rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, that grew to fill the whole earth. And we were told this kingdom will not be destroyed. And then secondly, in chapter 7, shortly after this, Daniel had a vision of one like the Son of Man, which can be nobody else with Jesus, the Son of Man, over an eternal kingdom which shall never be destroyed. So in addition to Daniel's relationship this passage is really all about that Jesus is the king of God's indestructible kingdom. And Darius goes on. His dominion is all the way to the end. In other words, forever. He delivers and rescues, doing signs and wonders in heaven, who delivered Daniel from the hand of the lions. Now again, 
Daniel becomes a complete book. It goes from Nebuchadnezzar to Darius and going all the way back to when Daniel interpreted that dream and Nebuchadnezzar understood the gift given to Daniel. And oh yeah, then he also was deposed from his throne for seven years and came back, as God had said, and he testified to the signs and wonders of the Most High. But here's the bottom line of it all. He says, it is the Lord God, the God of Daniel, who is the deliverer, the ultimate Deliverer of people is always the Most High God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to mention a few other passages about Jesus, God's Son, in the book of Daniel. Remember his three friends in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I see a fourth who looks like the Son of God. And then we're told in chapter 9 that there will be 69 sevens from a specific date, and at that time the Messiah will be cut off, a prophecy of the cross in Daniel and Jesus. Jesus is the king of God's indestructible kingdom. And then finally, the last three chapters are this incredible vision which goes into great detail, mentioning almost every king in the Mediterranean from the days of Daniel to the days of Jesus. But this was after Daniel had prayed a prayer of repentance in chapter 9. David was, above all else, a very humble man before God. And as he confessed his nation's sin, he said he was part of them. All of a sudden, then, he gets addressed by somebody looking like the glorified Jesus and compare chapter 10 with Revelation 1. And this glorified son of man will fight against the prince of Persia, and some people will ultimately rise to everlasting life, shining like stars forever. That's a quick summary of three long chapters. You see, Jesus will be the king of his people who become righteous through faith in him. And his kingdom will prevail over all who try to destroy it. Jesus is the king of God's indestructible kingdom. Now let's go to our gospel story because there's one big connection here. The Jewish elders, the leaders of the council, they want the governor Pilate to punish Jesus. Why? Because they're jealous of him. These Pharisees who were supposed to be so godly are acting just like those evil Persians in Daniel's day. So we're told the Sanhedrin leads Jesus to Pilate, calling him an enemy of the Jews and Caesar. They want to get him from both ends because he calls himself Messiah, which to the Hebrews meant king, anointed king. So having risen, this whole multitude of the Sanhedrin led him to Pilate, and that's just a few verses up at the end of chapter 22. And then they began to accuse him. We found this one perverting our nation, forbidding people to give tribute to Caesar and saying he himself is the Messiah king. 
Now, this is a formal accusation before a judge where they're looking for a conviction, and they give three reasons why Jesus is guilty. When they say he's perverting the nation, they mean he's turning them aside from God's right path and leading people away from God. Of course, the opposite was true. Well, knowing that Rome could care less about religion and was much more interested in tax revenue, they say that Jesus wants to take this away from Rome because he thinks he's the king of kings, he's the Messiah, he's the great ruler. Well, after Pilate questions Jesus, he declares him innocent. But the elders urgently assist, no, he's a troublemaker. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? But having answered him, he said, you are saying it. So because the Jewish leaders had accused Jesus of being the Messiah, the king, this is a logical question for Pilate to ask. Jesus answers somewhat ambiguously, saying, you have said it. But the reason for this is Pilate asked the question in the form of a statement. In other words, he's expecting a positive answer. He's told he was the king. He believes it. He accepts that Jesus could be the king. Well, after this interchange, Pilate told the chief priests and the people, I'm finding no cause in this man. In other words, he's saying he discovered no reason to support the accusation of the Jewish leaders and the priests. But it ends, they are urgently insisting he's stirring up the people, teaching throughout the whole of the Jews, having begun from Galilee until here. So they say he's been stirring up this people for years. Yeah, about three years, because that was the length of his public ministry. And he began his teaching north by Galilee, but now he's here in Jerusalem. And here's the bottom line. They do not believe Jesus is the Messiah, is the king. So they continued on and on to urgently appeal to Pilate because they cannot accept him as their king. And here's a sad truth, people, and we were discussing it in our Bible study this week. Not all of God's people, professing people of God, want Jesus to be their king. And that's a sad thing, people. Well, let's wrap it up and let's focus on the truths we learned from Daniel. Daniel is a man who had an intimate, courageous faith in God that became a consuming love for him so that he could practice what we would call spiritual disciplines to remain close to his God, even at great risk to his physical safety. And Jesus, who is the king of kings, desires that all of his kingdoms who are also living under civil law, we have the laws of God in the kingdom and the laws of man where we're living. If these laws of man forbid us from practicing acts of love towards God in Jesus, we must choose to ignore that law. 
and continue to express our devotion to God, let come what may, because Jesus is the king of God's indestructible kingdom. In the end, he wins, and if we stay in him, we win with him too. Amen.